Hello, and welcome back to No Screaming, episode 78. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week we're talking about the 2015 musical... Comedy, horror... Something. Something. Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. I want to say up front, (laughs) we're going to be a little mean... I'm going to yeah. try to rein in the meanness because I think in, that... Excuse me. I'm going to try to rein in the meanness. There are people for whom this is an important piece of uh, fiction. This? Uh, as well as Repo? Or just... Yes. You mean this yes, too? This and things like it. And I think that they get bullied enough <laughs> as they walk from theater class to choir <laughs> practice. And I don't think that we need to beat them up anymore. Wow. I feel like that's actually really... Um... I can't tell whether that's progressive or regressive of the current thing, which is that we need to bully theater kids more. I see this as a theater kid, um, but I feel like there's been a movement on the internet to bully theater kids. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that you don't want to be a part of it. This movie is why people, why there's a movement why they to bully, bully theater kids. Correct. So some context. This movie, which we watched on Amazon Prime, is the sequel to a short film called The Devil's Carnival. This being Alleluia, the Devil's Carnival. Carnival. Wow. That came out in 2012. This came out in 2015. It is directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman and written by Terrence Znudich, who Mm -hmm. have previously collaborated on something that has a much larger pop culture impact, which is a horror musical called Repo the Genetic Opera. Yes. I don't actually know how big Repo is. Me neither, because we're theater kids. Yes. But for me, at a particular time in my life, everyone around me was very into Repo. Yeah. I did not have that experience because I don't think that I, in high school, knew anyone who was... Mm. Repo is darker than this. Repo is much darker than Alleluia the Devil's Carnival. Um, Alleluia the Devil's Carnival has a safety to it, I feel like, uh, um, a campiness that is a little bit safer, um, whereas Repo is, uh, like, so unbelievably horrifying. I actually remember, I forgot about this until this moment, but I remember the first time I tried to watch it, I had to stop, because the first, how much would you say, like, five minutes is just gore? Yeah. Just, like, organs just falling from the sky, and, um... Repo the Genic Opera is an opera, it yeah. is sung through, basically. Yes. Um, it stars Alexa Vega and Anthony Stewart Head and Terrence Zadunich mm-hmm. and Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton's in it. And I it's it's a, like vividly. a dystopian, it's a dystopian post-apocalyptic uh, musical opera about uh, genetic enhancement and genetic harvesting. Yeah. And specifically, right, the concept it's of- It's about like, not owning your organs. You buy your organs and then if you can't pay them off, they are repossessed. Yes. So again, it is it is easy to see how that is a horror, and I think that that yes. is that is a horror musical. Well, there it is, has the horror elements. There's like also think, the a gore. repo thing that is more action, but they leaned into the horror for the genetic opera. I think yeah. like it's it again, blood, 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 buckets and buckets of blood. And I I said the line to you. Should I say it on the podcast? It's so horrifying. Sure. Um, there's a, the one song I know well from Repo. Um, is Mark It Up, which I actually will bring up later. It's in my notes. Um, unfortunate, unfortunate is there's a line from it. That's, uh, I will find a hole and fuck it. If there ain't one, I will make one, which is like, that's really dark. That's really fucking dark for a bunch of high schoolers to like Stan, but that's what they were doing. So 
I think this is much more, Ellie the Devil's Carnival is much more, um, what I understand, like, people being really into because it isn't, at the end of the day, that horrifying. Sure. A thing that I want to address, and this is impossible to convey, I think in an audio form, but all of this, all of, all of, like, the Devil's Carnival stuff, which we should say we didn't watch the short film. No. I kind of wish we did now, actually. This and Repo, despite me being the person who, you know, I went to a shadow cast performance of Repo <laughs> uh, when I was in college, it is just the cringiest thing. I Like, the yeah. words don't do justice, because also I think that there are people who don't perceive it that way, no. but it makes my skin crawl. I, I feel the same way, and I don't know why. It's really hard to pinpoint, because... You and I both really love camp. Yes. As a concept, not like the, the property. Um, and I I feel like there is a hefty amount of camp in this, but it's not the kind of camp that makes me go like, oh, this is like wrapping myself in a warm blanket of camp. This is like, I want this as far away from me as possible. I think I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, as we walk through this, we'll talk about some of the things, but I think that the thing that for me sets off my alarms mm -hmm. is that it feels the effort is extremely apparent it feels yeah. very try hard. It yeah, feels try yeah, hard yeah. in the we have we have used this shorthand to make fun of people on this podcast before, but like the raw XD dinosaur bacon. Like, yeah, it's that kind of like pleading for attention. You know what? I it's a just hot topic. Landed on steampunk. Like yeah, it's very steampunky. You know, I just you know, I just I made a connection. I ran and connected the two dots. Um, I have made been making fun of for the past five months. Um, how Taylor Swift is in Cats. And I feel like parts of this are very like that, where you feel like you're watching somebody stand in front of a mirror and go, what looks the coolest? What's What way can I contort my face to look the sexiest? Like, it's just, it's this weird, like, horror sexy thing that I hate, that I cannot abide. You're looking at me so excited. I figured it out. Say? Okay, go ahead. If you guys have seen those, like, Threads go around on Twitter sometimes of like goth TikToks? TikTok teams. Yes, 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 yes. It's this what is it is. So like that. It's people in Joker makeup. Yes. Do, like doing like or like or like uh, like doll makeup. Doll makeup. Like doing do like a jerky kind of like I'm scary like but it's sexy. It's and exactly it's really that. Really horrible. <laughs> yes. So this is this is the the cinematic version of goth TikTok teens. Yeah. Like doing lip syncing. Yeah. It absolutely is. That's exactly what it is. So should we talk about the movie I'm itself? <laughs> we landed exactly yeah. on the aesthetic. We've done a lot of preface. Um, on top of everything we just said about it being cringe, I think this is a really bad movie. It's also bad. I think that's the thing is that I could see myself liking this in a kind of like fun, guilty pleasure way if I felt like it was good. But it's not good. It's in fact poorly written the songs are not good with yeah. a couple mediocre exceptions. The songs in Repo are a little better, but the yes. songs in this, I think, bad. They're not, um, they're, it almost, it, I think, I think we discussed this when we were watching the movie that Repo, none of the songs have to be that good because it's an opera. So it's sung throughout. So you're always just sort of listening to this vague music. It yeah. doesn't ever really have to like stand out or be that good because you're just listening to two hours of music. This has musical numbers, has musical numbers. And when you watch a musical, you expect that like, you'll kind of feel like, Oh, a, a song. And then you'll go through the journey of a song. These were not journey songs. They were just pattery, creepy, um, 
almost like magnetic poetry kind of lyrics of just like, just say a lot of nonsense words that sound creepy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so just nothing really, I mean, I truly could not tell you the name of any song. None of them were stuck in my head when we finished. In fact, Mark It Up was stuck in my head instead. Yeah. <laughs> Which for all its faults is catchy as hell. Do you want to, do you want to start and do plot? I feel like we're kind of jumping around. There's not a lot, there's not a ton of plot to go through. I think we'll cover that. I want to set a little bit more context. So again, part of why I feel so bad, just fucking dunking on this. Uh, it was made in, it was shot in 14 days, mm-hmm. which is an enormously short. Especially but, for the level of production. Yes. For, you know, for everything that's going on here, especially for a musical, uh, for $500,000, mm-hmm. which is no money at all. Yeah. This movie has a ton of C-list names in it. It does. Uh, <laughs> I mean, A-list for musical theater nerds. Adam Pascal. That's a pretty big... Ge- I, again, I think Adam that's Pascal like, is not an A-lister even in musical for theaters. Me, really? I don't think so. Uh, maybe for my generation. I, I I recognize him immediately. I have watched his career. Like, I know, you know, I feel like for musical theater kids, he's he's a guy. He's a, He might be a B-lister. Sure, fine. An A-lister is like Patti LuPone. I guess. Or like Lynn. <laughs> sure. Lynn is basically an A-list celebrity in the real world. That's true. That's true. Anyway, the movie opens with a previously on The Devil's Carnival, mm-hmm. as if this was a TV show. A TV show. It did not help me, by the way. He provided no context whatsoever. No. <laughs> Except for, we're going to war with heaven. That's it. That was the only thing I got from it at all. Um, though, spoiler alert, that doesn't happen in this movie. Until the end. It doesn't even really happen then. No. <laughs> it's the lead up to... I'll lose the Devil's Carnival 2, in which I guess presumably the war will eventually happen. This movie does imply a sequel. Yeah. Because it ends abruptly. Uh, yeah. There's a previously on that means nothing to you if you haven't seen the first one, which was really unfortunate. Yeah. I do think that this should establish a new precedent on the podcast where we don't do this again. We watch don't sequels. Try to watch a sequel without context. I thought it would be fine because it was just uh, a short film. Short film. It was not fine. It wasn't fine at all. I mean, because here, here's like yeah. I, I, I want to just like briefly get. I feel like we're just circling the plot. and We should just get into it. But basically, in the world of this musical universe, it, there is hell and it's a carnival, and the devil looks like devil. He's got big horns, but he also paints his face to look kind of like a clown. Played by screenwriter and songwriter Terrence. Yes, Zinernish. if you know Repo, he is the like grave robber. narrator, grave robber guy. Um. And all the, you know, typical for the carnival, you've got kind of all these people dressed like, you know, carnival workers and stuff. And yeah. everything's very, like, big games and flashing lights. That's hell. Heaven is, uh, what would you call the building that they're in? Kind of like a government building, It's right? a bureaucracy. Yeah. The, the aesthetic that I would compare heaven to, though it it's taking from a lot of sources, it's extremely um the bioshock franchise bioshock and bioshock yeah, infinite because it's 1940s yes and everything is like a little too clean and it's very mm-hmm. like it's it's about the fascism the inherent fascism of bureaucracy yes that is yes. more intelligent than anything no i was gonna doing. say you're giving it a lot of credit because uh god is not a fascist god's dictator. like a gangster he's well he's a writer played by paul sorvino by yeah. the way he's like this is why I said it was also like a business. It's like a government building, but he's the author. Like he's not, he's not the boss. He's just the author. He is. And the movie sets him up as like the Godfather. Yes. Kind of. But he's also like a, it's also like a corporation because it is heavenly, heavenly productions incorporated. Yes. It's a corporation. So the angels who support him are 
the agent and the publicist, um, which I actually genuinely, to this movie's credit, I think that's cool. I wish that was more explored because I love the idea of God as an author. That's like literally what Supernatural is like about. Um, but I love the idea of like the agent. And when you, when you first, that's Adam Pascal, by the way, plays the agent. And when you first hear the agent, it sounds like a wartime thing that it's like, oh, he's, he's a secret agent or he's like the agent to the boss, but actually he's like a literary, a literary agent. I actually think that's really cool. I think that's very smart. Um, unfortunately that's sort of where the intelligence of this movie kind of drops off. Um, because what we're supposed to glean from, I guess the first like half an hour is that new people are brought in. Do you remember what they're called? The new people. I wish applicants? I'd done. The applicants are brought in to, I guess, be, to work for this company, but they have rules and they have to kind of go through training and, Two of our potential main characters are... June and Cora. Cora. There's a gay sort of situation going on between them that I... Was, this movie does not do justice to. It does not to. do justice to it, but I got excited and then was let down. Barry Bostwick um, plays... Because I don't think we're going to talk about this character otherwise. Barry Bostwick plays a... Reporter. From um, Rocky Horror Picture Show, by the way. Mm. Plays a... Like investigative journalist? Reporter? Yeah. Or something? He's also a photographer. He's got the whole, yeah. the whole package. He has almost no dialogue other than his one song. And he does show up at one point to yell at Cora, Cora. for her feelings for June. Yes. And then disappears from the movie. Yes. And June is in a relationship with Adam Pascal, the agent, but it's secret because he's not. they're not supposed to be doing it. And... Everybody keeps kind of warning both of them, like, this isn't going to go well for you, either either of you, because you shouldn't be doing this. And they're both like, we can handle it, we're fine. So the plot yeah. is, the applicants come to heaven, they learn the ropes, June. and then the movie goes off the rails. Yes. Can we talk about the characters? Because I think that... Yes, because I know that there are two people that you want to mention. The, the group of applicants, focused on Cora mostly, because June goes off and has her affair, Yeah. just moves from room to room and meets characters for a yes. while. There's a library. I, like... You say you want to do plot. There's almost no plot. Oh, I know, but there is, June, like, stuff June to and, explain. June and the agent have an affair. June betrays... Yeah, she eats the apple. Eats the apple and yeah. goes to hell, mm-hmm. where she meets up with the devil. Yeah. This is, like, way far into the movie. Sure, but... <laughs> it's, like, the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I know. It's just weird to uh, explain that and then And then they decide that they're going to go to war with heaven. That's really the plot of this movie. That yeah. is the yeah. stuff that happens in this movie. There, yeah, but it, it is kind of set up. This is the part of it that's very musical esque is that there's a lot of like you meet characters and they all kind of have a song and they all kind of sing their song like god sings a song and the agent sings a song and the publicist the, sings a the song the rapper and... tech nine plays the librarian yes he sings a song in which he, he barely does raps. not rap and it's very sad why cast him if you're not gonna have him rap? david hasselhoff plays oh, the fuck. designer he is there isn't he he's a weird part of this too why is why you see some applicants who've been there for a while as if they're like in a sweatshop yes that part has, I don't know any, I have no idea how it connects to anything. Jimmy Urin from My Little Self-Indulgence and his wife, IRL, Chantal Claret from Morningwood play like enforcers, like Gestapo. Genuinely the best part of this They're movie They're very funny. They're very funny. Their song is the best. They are the only good part of this movie to me. Yes. It's... And they're... It's a cameo. This is the problem with like me talking about how much this makes me cringe. That's a cameo for dumb shit like me who recognizes them, <laughs> right? Like right. I'm, I'm the target audience of this. Like who would recognize? Yeah. These people. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't know who those bands I are, right? Would, yeah. No, no, no. I don't know who they are. I don't know. Who the, she looks like Madonna. <laughs> I'm sure, she'd be thrilled to hear you say that. Uh, 
What are the other characters? Oh, oh um, um, Ted Neely, who plays Jesus in the Jesus Christ Superstar movie, is the publicist. He's the publicist. He sings the like Noah's Ark kind of song. Yes. Um, you know who? A friend of the podcast, not friend of the podcast. <laughs> Person in a movie that is a movie that we love on this podcast is Layla from Mind Games. Yes, uh, she's a friend movie. of the podcast. She's a friend of the podcast. Um, I was excited to see her. I love I love any reference to Mind Games. Let's talk about what life. she does. So she arrives on the train from hell. She gets dropped at Heaven's Gates. She is interrogated by uh, the agent as well as... I don't, what are their names? I don't remember their names. Translator Bents and Translator Bates, according to this. They don't translator? say Translator? This is the Wikipedia Whatever. says they're translators. Sure. Anyway, uh, gets interrogated by them and then disappears from the movie. She's locked she's in gone a room. for the entire movie. It's she's so locked weird. in a room and then she's just gone. Until the last two minutes? Sure. Yeah. Uh, but yes, our a character, uh, an actor who is in mind games does appear in this movie. But this movie's not coherent, so... I know, but I'm still excited to see her. I love Mind Games and I love Layla. Um, God, I just don't even know where to begin with, like... Well, this is, there's no plot. No. So where do we go from here? Well, we should mention that this is all kind of a frame story. Lucifer yeah. is telling a story to a hooded figure... Yeah. ...who turns out to be June after she falls. Who is now the Painted Doll. That's, what she, that's her new name. So the Painted Doll thing, this is the problem... Do you want to spin off into the painted doll thing? I am so sorry for our failures as podcast hosts. The painted doll has a lot to do with the prequel. Oh, does she yes. really? <laughs> she, Fuck. Her story is like a big part of the prequel. Damn it. Oh, well, But we didn't watch we that. We didn't watch it. So we don't know. But that character is supposed to be more meaningful, I think. Like when she takes her hood off, we're supposed to be like, oh, she's the painted doll. Not just, oh, that's oh, it's June, June from 15 minutes ago. <laughs> No, I feel bad. But she now she's a painted doll. Lucifer's telling her this whole story about the applicants and about... So sometimes it'll just cut away to him and he's, like, reading a book. He's literally reading a book. Yeah. And to, like, narrating the story. Yes. Uh, what do you think of Lucifer in this movie? He's nothing. I wanted more of him. I wanted... I, like, I wanted him also to do more. Yeah. Because all he does is exactly what I said before, which is that he has big horns, he has that voice that... You we know from Repo, like he can sing and he can do this kind of like I am a the the devil and this is the devil's carnival and he is a musical theater dude, but he does nothing in this movie. Actually, his song might be the second best. I, as I say that, it is the one I can now hear in my head where I can't remember the words, but he it's when June comes to when she falls from when grace. she falls from grace and she's getting all kind of fucked up because they're in hell now and he's singing a song that is just the same like four lines over and over again. But it's the one about, like... Uh, That's his gist, though, because the opening song is him, and he's also, like, the they're, spokes they're, they're of orders. fire and the... Yeah, the, but, uh, they're, like... It's, like, it's that kind of classic... Shovel and um, bone. Shovel and bone. It's that, um... A little bit, like, kind of a... What's the... Like, a chain gang kind of vibe to it, don't you think? Yeah. Where it's just, like, the the kind of rhythm is the chain falling or the people kind of lurching, and there's that kind of, like, huh kind of feel to it and he's just yelling things like blood mud stain you know <laughs> like, yeah. things like that bones i like the way that lucifer looks i like his makeup but he does but it it like everything else in this movie looks cheap as hell he yeah. looks like like a buffy villain 
This like, is, it's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it is very Buffy villain. With which just, is like, like, listen. Cracks in people's faces and color contact. Buffy is like my favorite thing in the world, but, but also. it's not original. That's the thing about it is that it's. But also, it's, it was 25 years ago. Like, yes. we should have moved on. It's very, this movie does look like 90s. It, look, it looks very 90s. And I think that that's part of the reason it feels kind of familiar and safe is that there's nothing challenging about any of the way that they look. It's all just very familiar, stolen from, like you said, Bioshock, Buffy, like, just this kind of aesthetic... Hot topic. Steampunk hot topic stuff that's just, like, so recognizable, which I think is part of the reason it was done. I don't know I don't know if he's trying to be original or if he's trying to hearken to all of these very recognizable kind of monster, religious allegory kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to know. And I also want to know, I did not really read many interviews. I read one and I found it insufferable. Ter- Terrence Dudich, who I will continue to pronounce, has like a dedicated fan base. Huh. There are people who like really love his voice. He does like a traveling theater show about like serial killers and stuff. Like um, That's on brand. Yeah. Uh, the director, Darren Lynn Bowsman, and this is what confuses me. I don't know how much of this, especially like... Um, the the look of this, the mm-hmm. way that it's shot and set up, and mm-hmm. the what hand he had in production design is his, because he is like, he's not a name, but he did direct Saws two and three and four, and he's so he's not a name, but he's, he's directing in the horror world, the new Saw reboot that people are excited for with Chris oh, Rock, really, like Spiral. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, hey. yeah, like he's he's close to a name. Yeah, close. He, to- I mean, he's not James Wan, right? No, like no, James no, Wan no. is but a name, but he's making movies people saw and see and like. Yes, I don't think people really care about Saw's three and four that much. No, but, but like Saw two is well regarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people I know in the horror community are excited. are excited for Spiral. I am. But like the last major movie I think he did. No, he made a movie in 2016 called Abattoir, but it's only the Devil's Cardinal Abattoir and then Spiral. Did the people who hired him from Spiral not realize that this is what he's been doing? Because it fucking sucks. No, probably they just are like Saw. If I saw this work, I would not. Based on this, if I ha- if I was a producer, I would not yeah. hire anyone who worked on this because no. it looks bad. It looks cheap. You feel that just energy. This is the thing. So many times we watch low budget things that are just like cobbled together by sheer will, and I am extremely sympathetic to that. I love a low budget project where you just feel the the sweat and the you know, the actors who built the sets, uh-huh. just like a, a group of people willing to move into existence. This has that element, but also I just wish they had it. It makes me feel bad, no, and but it, I wish they had it. The problem is, again, like we've we kind of, we touched on, you could have this movie that if it had a good script, it would be a completely different ball game because I'm looking through my notes right now and I'm just remembering that both direction wise and script wise, this movie is deeply confused. Yes. It's so confused. It's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. It's very confused. Like I said, I think that it sets up some really interesting things. And one of the first things that happens, I don't know if you remember this. One of the first things that happens is when they're in heaven and you see God and he's doing something with like dolls, he's, he's writing and creating God style and he rings a bell do you remember this? No. He rings a bell, and on the screen next to the bell, you oh. see in purple letters, ring, 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 which is one of my favorite things ever. It is one of the easiest ways to get me to buy into something. Like, not as much in um, show, like, live action. 60s Batman, like, cartoon Do they do noises? that? Like, bam, pow. No, like... I'm thinking more like, well, actually, kind of. I'm thinking more like in um, Spider-Verse. Remember in Spider-Verse, oh. when things would hit and it would go like, 
thunk, and you could kind of like see it. Yeah, it's because it's from comics. I love that. And so when people incorporate that into movies, I'm like, that's really cool. I think that's fun. And especially the way that the font was and the way that it was kind of lit. It is it cool. It cool. It happens like three times total. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't ever remember it happening again. It happens in the library. Oh, I, it, it really goes away. And I was like, oh, this thing that they set up that could have been a cool stylistic choice throughout the movie basically is nothing. Author, publicist, agent thing that I found really cool is basically nothing. What Here's the part that is the most confused to me is that we've established that um, heaven is this sort of like 1940s fascism thing. This is a mess. But, and like we talked about the um, the translators, whatever they are, they look very Gestapo Nazi-ish. Yeah. That's, that's, that's well established. We've got, we've got fascism up in heaven. <laughs> There's a big scene in hell that I cannot parse. I have no idea what they're doing or what they're talking about, except that they hate heaven and they want to do something to it. They're also all Nazis? Well, the characters start speaking German. They're, they, yeah, they're, they're speaking German. They're also wearing, like, army uniforms, yeah. but in a sexy way. Like, they're wearing, like, like they're wearing... They're, it looks like they're wearing their carnival outfits, but with, like, Nazi stuff on yeah. top of it, like hats and jackets and medals and stuff. And they start singing in German. And they start singing in German. So then I'm like, what's the... Metaphor here? Metaphor or the... Anything. What's, what are the illusions? Like, what are we suggesting here? Is everything Germany? Or even... It's not even It's not even the right time because I think I wrote down that hell is like 1930s Germany. Yeah. And heaven is like 1940s Germany? Because the 1930s part, the, the, the hell part is kind of more cabaret-ish. Yeah, it's, so it's like the 20s. It's like the, the Weimar. Like, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's not the same time period and it's not the same aesthetic. It's just all Germany. For what reason? For what reason? I just, I don't understand it at all. At all. So then there's, so we've got these kind of directing choices that are just left in the dust. We've got these very confused aesthetics. And then script-wise, we've discussed, the whole plot is nothing. And then we get to the end when um, it's revealed. We've seen the beginning that... Um, I keep wanting to call him Gabriel because that's what I assume he is. But the agent, he gets sent. It, there's an elevator that goes from heaven yeah. to hell. Don't know why she should take the train there when there's an elevator. But okay, it's fine. There's an elevator. He gets on the elevator. He comes down to hell. He encounters the painted doll who, like, the devil has warned the painted doll that she's going to re-encounter him. And they're going to have yeah. some kind of standoff, which they do. But then he's stuck down there. They're singing to him. And mind games Layla who has been in interrogation this whole time she shapeshifts just kidding she's not mind games Layla she's a shapeshifting demon from hell and now he's in heaven and he looks like now he makes himself look like the agent and then we see in the elevator that there are a bunch of demons coming up the elevator and this is where I was like why why if there's an elevator they don't need this infiltrating person yeah. They don't he doesn't let them in. They're just also coming up. Yeah. He's been the shapeshifter's been sitting there the whole movie doing nothing, waiting for something, but we don't know what. And then the movie just kind of ends. And then it just it literally ends with them coming up the elevator. That's the end of the movie. So all of this like we're going to war with heaven. We're going to war with Which heaven. Which is the last song, yeah. That's the whole thing. It's we're leading to this point. That's how the movie starts, too. And it's leading up to that point and then it's like it just gets dropped where it's like, "Oh, I guess we could have just done this all along. We didn't. Don't know why. I think... I agree. I think to your point about the script, I think the other... 
Again, the direction's bad. The script's bad. The performances are fine for what they are. I don't for really, what they are. Yes. I don't really blame anyone in this movie. No one in this movie is doing a good job. But I don't really like. I can't hold it against Barry Boswick yeah, or David I don't Hasselhoff. They're doing a bad job. They're doing the job. The songs. The core of my how I feel about this is, don't make this movie if your songs aren't good. Yeah. It's and like, if you have this idea for this extremely well-worn heaven and hell war thing Mm -hmm. like with this extremely well-worn aesthetics yeah like the steampunk nothing nothing here feels like a really bright original idea the way that like i mean neither does repo because repo is just like i mean repo is uh like this genetic harvesting but in the world of blade runner like it's not like it's aesthetically interesting either it's just more than this right the songs are really bad they're none of them none of them have a uh, earwormy melody. No. Not that they have to. None of them go but in a structure Structurally, of, yeah. they're a mess. They start and stop. They change tempos like part of the way through. And I... This is the problem. Is that if you're trying to do a musical that does really experimental things sonically with melody and structure, you have to really nail it. Yeah. And nothing here makes you want to buy into the music. No. The lyrics, the lyrics themselves are almost entirely nonsense and they're all the same every single song consists of a series of metaphors and abstract like really abstract like calls to action Mm -hmm. like that don't i mean i could i could yeah i actually kind of want to read some yeah pull why don't you pull some up (laughs) i want to pull up my favorite ones and see if i no don't do that pull up like the worst ones which one i don't know the last one like they don't mean anything. Or maybe the devil's one, the Lucifer one that you said you liked. Yeah. Where he's talking about that after the fall, I think is what it's called. Yeah. The lyrics are meaningless and the songs don't like the lyrics don't even tell the story. They do they, they don't do not story. tell stories. They could be standalone songs that are just about concepts of betrayal and like They are only they're almost like background music. You having a hard time finding these? I it's just the internet. Are you ready for the for just me to read you read you some lyrics from this song? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> this is the chorus. Uh, this is this really alludes to what we were talking about with the um, calls to action, and this this is repeated probably it looks like five five or six times in this song. Let us piss from the vine. Let us claw in the mud. Let us swing with both fists as we writhe in the blood. Let us walk on stained glass. Sinners one, sinners all. It's always prettiest after the fall. Um, and again, five five times. There are two other verses, and they are also... Similarly, we scratch upon the plains. Uptown they fluff the feathers. Coachmen walk with canes, and every collar is creased. A gentleman prefers to break from airs and fetters, to roll off his sleeves and liberate the beast. Uh, that is the first verse. So just, what does that mean? What does it mean? Hail the stars, hail the station, calling in my dedication. Tune her always to the songs of old. Is the, like, climactic song. Like, none of this... It doesn't It doesn't mean anything. It, it actually feels just like he. they have a rhyming dictionary, and they're like, what's another kind of weird word? Like, let's just, let's say, say vine, and mud, and blood, and stained glass, and gnawing on the bone and nectar for the cups and napkins for the chins and things like I'm, that. And I'm flipping through these like... songs and like, there's just so many verbs. 
Jiggle Juice frisking under the marquee. I hate that The line. peacocks are strutting behind velvet ropes, slipping away on their heavenly dope. Scratch in the hatch with some sisters and laspis. Strike the wrong chords, the ones we can't dance on. Surrender yourself, doll. Get down on your knees. Let's open the flappers and rumble the keys. Like, what it's is just... It's nonsense. It's nonsense. And again, if this was an opera and it was just all being sung through, I could honestly kind of forgive it because then it's just setting kind of an ambiance, right? Like it's not there to push the plot forward. But when you have a musical, songs need to either speak the truth of someone, like a character, right? Or they need to push the plot forward. And all these songs do in entirety is yell at someone or... Ex- just, or quote unquote explain the way that heaven works. So like the, I don't even think it did that. The all aboard song is trying to the one where it's it like doesn't, cast though. one is the birds who bray and cast two is the people who the I'll find it. Is that from the Ark song? From the from the uh Cast one kept his pets, cast two steered the flock, cast three plumes and pelts, cast four birds of song, cast five watching dogs, cast six praying beasts, cast seven working horses. That That's is try- still... no, it's nonsense. Mm. But that is trying to explain the way that heaven works. That is tech but it nine. It doesn't. Again, no. it doesn't. It only continues what I said before, which is just either yell at people or set a kind of like ambiance of like this is how creepy we are. Like this is how weird it is in heaven. That song is called Always Hitting on All Sevens, which doesn't mean anything. The more I think about that title, it's just it's frustrating. <laughs> like what what does that mean? I love how call me you just said it's frustrating because I'm starting to kind of settle in there myself of just like I can't make sense of any of this. None of it makes any sense. And that's the problem. That's the frustration here as as uh, podcasters is that uh, I don't have anything really meaningful to say about this. No. This defies analysis, I think, because t- in my opinion, I think everything here was not given much further thought. I don't even it's think you can say that things. it defies analysis. It's so easy to analyze. It's just that like once upon a time I was in high school or even middle school and I wrote poetry like that. That's the analysis. It's just that you're it's it's appealing to like middle school and early high school musical theater goths and that's what it is. And you and I are not there anymore. Yeah. And there are people who are our age who are want to live in that world and this movie probably works for them and there's people who are that age whose movie probably works for them. It does not work for me in any way shape or form at all. Do you just want to move on? I guess. I want to like come to a conclusion, but no, there isn't I one. I think it, the movie doesn't have a conclusion. The movie kind of stops no. mid-action and then has embarrassing Windows Movie Maker credits. It really does. It literally looks like when I used to make like stuff on Windows Movie Maker and send it to my friends and be like, written, directed, and <laughs> produced by Elizabeth Smart. What do you think the worst song was? Um. That you remember. Because I wrote down a note that says that oh, Barry Boswick's oh, oh. song that's called The Hour Begins to the Watchword, or Belongs to the Watchword, isn't that, is the worst one. Which was the one... No, I think the worst one, isn't it the one that God sings where he comes to the like club? They have their little cabaret club, and he comes there and he sings a song. And isn't that the one that it starts off really slow, and then it picks up and then it goes back to being slow again? Yes. There's one that you and I were like, what is the tempo of this song? Like, it's just... Yeah. Means nothing. I think the best song was the Jimmy Urin and Chantal Claret one. Fully agree. But also, when I say the best, like, if <laughs> it was. The bar is low. If it was striked from ever existing, I wouldn't mind. No, and if we were rating it on a scale of, like, the best musical theater songs, it wouldn't crack top 500. 5,000? 5, 5,000. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I 
just feel like now I'm just I, I actually am starting to feel bad again. We started off feeling bad about what we were going to do on this. And then we got episode. mean. We got really mean, and I'm starting to feel bad again. Let's just move on. I'm uh, sorry that I'm an internet bully. Sorry to these people. I'm sorry to TikTok teens. I'm, I'm sorry. not sorry to them. Fuck the TikTok teens. <laughs> I'm sorry to middle school theater people. I once was one of you. I have since moved on. I'm just glad that I could like I could get really when I was I don't know twelve. This is like a target age for this. Mm-hmm. When I was 12, like, I had Rent and I had Sweeney Todd. Like... Right, I, we actually had real musicals, right? Like, Sweeney Todd is better than this in every shape and form and fulfills the same need. That's the funny thing. Like, as an adult now, like, there are aspects of Rent that are, like, very cringy to me. But Sweeney and, Todd is honestly pretty And my cringy. relationship to Rent, I feel very cringy about. But, like, Rent is also, like, like a masterpiece compared to this. It is. I think, yeah, I think that's the thing is that, like, I think what we've said and i will say again is that nothing about this there are things that i will put myself through that are cringy because they give me something that i can't get anywhere else right like something is provided to me through it rent has real genuine emotion you know like you can still listen to that and like cry and feel like oh my god this is so emotional as cringy as other parts of it are and there is nothing about this that you couldn't go play a video game or watch a different movie or listen to a different musical and get literally the exact same. I mean, literally better. watch Repo, but we get which I better. don't like, but yes. That's the thing. Every, everything, every alternative that I've better. ever seen that would give you the feelings and the aesthetics that you're looking for, I think has been done better. I agree. This is the worst example of all of, all the of things its elements. We just talked about. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. unfortunate, but like, I genuinely feel like from what I've perceived and I got, I'm sure there's something worse out there. But from what I perceive, this is the worst example of anything that it has to offer. This yeah. was a, this was a one star movie for me. Like this is yeah. barely above like a generational disaster. Right. The things that are the things that make it a one star rather than like a half star or no stars. Are like a Hellraiser like, Revelations is our benchmark, right? For the worst movie ever. Yeah. That is that is actually what, the worst movie ever for me. I think actually lower than that is Human Centipede, just because of what it like. You refuse to done. rate that movie. I refuse to rate it. It's above the rating system, both above and below the rating system. But Hellraiser Revelations is is not a movie. It it barely qualifies as it things a, that movies need to do. It's a contractual obligation, yeah. like <laughs> with a lot of people who feel like they're being held at gunpoint to be there. Whereas these people don't feel like they're being held. At they're gunpoint. very happy. There feels like there's a lot of joy, and I and that's why I dislike being mean to this movie. Because that's because... the thing. David Hasselhoff didn't need to be paid a lot to be in this because this movie had a 500k budget. Like, right. David Hasselhoff wanted to be there. There's some genuine theater kid feelings in this movie that I really hate being dismissive of, but I also I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Are you ready to send this on an elevator up to heaven? <laughs> I put it on an elevator. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Get it away from me. So we're going to call our next shot. And the film Sinister just came to Netflix. Yes. You have been wanting to rewatch this. I have been. You have been talking about it for a while, totally separate from the podcast that you wanted to rewatch it. Yes. And then it came to Netflix in May. Do you want me to talk about why I wanted to rewatch it? I think we can save that for next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I have a very specific relation to this that we'll also talk about next you time. Do. And yeah, so it's on Netflix. It just came to Netflix. Um, 2012, directed by Scott Derrickson. Sinister. Yeah, I'm excited. It's always, it's always so unremarkable to announce something as opposed to spinning the roulette. Yes. I love the roulette. But... <laughs> but we wanted to have something good because we haven't done... I guess it comes in it was good. I was going to say, we haven't had a lot of good experiences lately with the roulette. All right. Until next time, everybody. 
You check us out on our website. I was going to say, are you going to just... You can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. We've been tweeting a lot more. We've been doing the Joe Bob's Last Drive-In yeah. on Friday nights. If uh, anyone has Shudder and wants to join us in live tweeting that. We love engagement. It's a very... Okay, cynical. <laughs> I just love watching horror movies with other people who love horror movies. And that's a thing we do live every Friday night. Mm-hmm. For the most part. I'm not promising that. Yeah, don't like swear by it. But it has happened in the past two weeks. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, otherwise, just give us a tweet and just, you know, tell us what you think. Tell your yeah. friends. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Do it. Thank you, as always, to Wes Craven and to Stephen Sondheim for writing a good horror musical. <laughs> One of the best, in fact. Yeah. Sweetie Todd is legitimately scary. Exactly. I was listening to it actually the other day because of um, his birthday concert. And I was like forgetting that there are certain lines of Sweetie Todd that send legit shivers up my hand. Like my, my hair and my arms stand up like... It's terrifying. Yeah. Shouts out. Shouts out. Stevie. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.